for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. Father God, we come before you today with our hearts full of worship and praise to you alone. We thank you so much, Lord, for the gathering of the saints. We thank you for your word, Father God. Thank you so much for your word. Your word is a lamp onto our feet and a light onto our path, and you provide us so much wisdom and guidance and understanding through your word, and we thank you for it, Father God. Lord, as we move into a time of teaching, a time of receiving from you, Father God, I'm praying for Jermaine, Lord. I pray that as he speaks, he will decrease and you will increase, that his words will be your words, that you will speak through him to your people, Father God. I pray that even as he comes to speak, Lord, you will give him a a spirit of boldness, a spirit of courage, Father God, to say the things that sometimes we need to hear but don't want to hear, Father God. But we know that you're giving us this word because you love us and you, you do that for, the, for your children because you love us, Father God. I pray that, Lord, um, you will just use him as, as an instrument um, in, in your kingdom, Lord, and in your church, Father God, to share the word with us. I pray also for us, Lord, as your children, as we hear the word, Lord, I pray that you'll soften our hearts and open our hearts and our ears to receive from you, Father God, to be receptive to what you have to say to us, to look inwardly and really reflect on what you are saying to us through your word, Father God. We thank you so much for what you're doing in your church. We thank you so much again for your word, Father God, and for and for what you're doing in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, praise God, praise God, praise God. So good to be here with uh, people looking back at me. It's been a while. Um, when I started preaching, um, we were doing it all on camera, on film. And so for a while there, it felt like that was going to be my new reality. Uh, but praise God, he had a different plan. So we're continuing in our series on Luke. Um, we're going to be Going back into Luke 6, into another portion of it, I titled the sermon, uh, A Helper Through Words and Actions. And so we've all, um, hopefully this is true, grown up with or have had people in our lives who have helped us with the things that they've done for us. And for me, uh, that was my father, Um, both my father and mother, but my father in many ways. Um, One way in particular uh, that was dear to my heart was my father teaching me how to cook his uh, delicious Jamaican fried dumpling. Um, If you have not had that before, 
that is something you want to have. You get some good ackee and saltfish or some, you know, right? And so when my dad was teaching me how to do this, um, there was no recipe written down. Uh, this was an entirely, um, this was an experience where you had to be immersed fully into what he was saying and what he was doing. Because when he said, you need a little salt, not little, little, right? That's slightly different. Um, you needed to know what he meant. And the only way we are gonna know is if you were paying attention to when he picked up salt, what that little looked like, right? And so in the same way, um, I've, I've learned from my father um, through the things he said and did, uh, we're going to have to pay attention to this passage. I believe there are things that Jesus does in this passage and says in this passage that's going to teach us. And so the big takeaway is this. Jesus helps us in the actions he takes and the things he says. Right? Um, so there's actually going to be three ways that we're going to see Jesus helps us in this. The first two are going to be through his actions, and the last one is going to be through some of the things he says to us. And so the point number one, I'm going to give it to you right away, is Jesus models how to make good decisions. And so look with me at verse 12, chapter 6 of Luke. It says, During those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer. And so one of the things I want us to see right away is that Jesus actually, he's preparing to make a decision. And the first thing that he does is he goes out onto the mountain. The mountain gives us a picture of Jesus drawing near to God. And this is like when Moses on Mount Sinai, he draws near to God and receives the 10 commandments. Jesus is drawing near to God to receive God's choice for leaders. And he does this, as, you, as we see, with prayer. And he spends all night in prayer. He's, he's doing a, a vigil, an all-night vigil. We've um, maybe seen a few other places in Luke where Jesus is devoted to spending time in prayer. And what this is, is, is Jesus is submitting to the will of God. And he does this because he realizes that he's there to do the will of his father. Look at what he says in John 4, 34. My food is to do the will of him who sent me, that's the heavenly father, and to finish his work. This is the first thing that Jesus really teaches us in this passage is, is that in, if we desire, like Jesus, to make good decisions, We've got to start by submitting to God. We submit to God in prayer. And this is us acknowledging, just like Jesus did, that God is in control. So we submit to God in prayer. And he goes on in verse 13, it says, when daylight came, he summoned his disciples and he chose 12 of them who he also named apostles. There's a, a natural result when we submit to God in prayer that we have confidence in the decision we're going to make. Look at what Jesus does. As soon as daylight comes, he's able to go and make 
his decision. But we're humans, and there are times where as much as we spend time in prayer, we come away and it feels like we still don't have an answer. Still can't make a decision. So I want us to see four ways that we can actually be helped to make decisions. One is continue in prayer. Jesus spent all night in prayer. And any of us who have been students recently or throughout our lives, we know that there are times where if you want to get the right answer for the test, you're going to have to pull an all-nighter. Amen? Amen. I'm in school right now, and it's so true, right? And so Jesus spends all night in prayer. Then another thing is spending time in fasting. Fasting and prayer is something that is so often overlooked in the church, and I'm not going to lie. This is something I always had a hard time with. My dad, he would spend um, days fasting and seeking God for things. Um, and many times I saw the result of that. God is faithful when we seek him this way, setting aside things that might normally get in the way, not necessarily things that are bad, but they might distract us from continuing to pursue God for this. So fasting helps us to just focus in and say, Lord, I need to hear from you. Three, read God's word. Uh, Shayon said it really well this uh, week when we were looking at this. Sometimes God's given you the answer already in this book. So sometimes the, the answer is for us to just get familiar with what God has said in his word. And then the last thing that we can do is seek counsel from other members of the church family. There are people in this room right now, people who are part of our church's members, who have been through some of the things you're going through right now. And if we make a habit of trusting that the spirit is working through um, the members of the church to provide counsel, to provide guidance and wisdom, we'll find that a lot of times God will work through others to guide us to the decision he wants us to make. Right? So these are four ways that we can continue to seek God for the answer. Look back in verse 13. He said, um, Jesus, he chose the 12 of them, um, but then he also named them apostles. This actually tells us that the decision Jesus was going to God for wasn't a small uh, decision. This was a, a big deal. The apostles end up taking on some very important roles as we continue throughout the Bible. They're um, those who continue the ministry of Jesus. They're those who contribute to this very scripture, holy scripture that we hold. They're um, called the foundation of the church. And so this is a very important decision. Let's look at the, the people in verse 14 to 16 that Jesus chooses, the men. It says, first, Simon, who he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, that's my dad's name, and Simon called the Zealot, and then Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And so we read the names of these 12, and um, if we were to take some time to analyze these men carefully, we would find in all of them, surely there are some strengths and some weaknesses. Um, but we can understand Jesus making a choice 
among imperfect men because if he required perfection, no one would make the cut, right? But Judas Iscariot, there's a traitor on the team. And this is a challenging um, choice, but it shows us something about Jesus. In submitting to the Father, Jesus also trusts the Father. And just the same way as Jesus trusts the Father, he trusts his plan like a child who is being taught by their parent to ride a bike when the training wheels come off. And they got to trust that when their father or mother's telling them to come, that they're going to be safe, that they're going to be able to make it, right? And, and this is the same way, in the same way, Jesus trusts the Father. And we need to trust God's decisions. But there's also some things that we can actually learn uh, from Judas, this choice that is made. One, and this is very important for us to see, making good decisions does not exempt us from experiencing hard things, from experiencing bad things. In fact, in many cases, making a decision to follow Jesus means that you're going to face some hard times. You're called, we're called to go against the culture. And so there's a reality of it being difficult. There's two things that we ought to remember when this happens. One, Jesus understands. He also had a traitor on his team. He's also had people hate him. And this is one of the things that the Bible teaches us is that he sympathizes with us because he knows what it feels like. And then the second is that we should remember is that God uses it. God uses these bad situations, these hard situations to sanctify us, to make us more like Jesus. And hopefully going through some hard times will become the kind of people that won't treat others this way because we'll know what it feels like. Amen? Amen. So God uses it. Let's look back at verse 17. After coming down with them, he stood on a level place with a large crowd of his disciples and a great number of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from all the seacoasts of Tyre and Sidon. 18, he says, they came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Jesus is moving with his disciples. They're, they're following him. He goes to a place, gets into a position, and there's a crowd of people flocking to him. And if we think back to some of the other messages that we've heard in Luke, we actually see that Jesus has developed a reputation. It hasn't been long that he's been in ministry, but he's developed a reputation of being someone who, who teaches with authority. He's a powerful teacher, and he helps those who are hurting. And so this is the second point, is that Jesus helps those who are hurting. Jesus helps those who are hurting. They're drawn to him, and they get help. Look back at the verse, verse 18 again. It says, they came to him to be healed of their diseases, and those tormented by unclean spirits were made well. The whole crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming out from him and healing them all. And this is a very important picture here, just the same way as Jesus models for us 
how to make good decisions. Jesus is actually continuing to model for his disciples how they should do ministry. Remember, they're with him here and they're seeing his example. And it's an example that they've seen throughout their life because even for some of them, Jesus had made the decision to go to them in their time of need, go to their house in their time of need and help them. This is a picture of who Jesus is. And this picture is actually very important for us as his disciples today because God has called us to not be a church, to not be disciples who simply uh, talk a good talk, but he's called us to be, just as he is, compassionate toward those who are in need. Two things that the church ought to be known for, just as Jesus was known for, is teaching and preaching the gospel and helping those who are in need. We ought to be a, a ministry that is in word and deed, just as Jesus was. But looking back at the passage, we see something else too that's happening. It says, they came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. There is something really powerful in this statement that they came to Jesus. The reputation of Jesus didn't just um, come to them and and they sat in their seats and wondered whether or not this is true. They came to Jesus. And there is a desperation that we actually see in this passage when we consider how the people respond. It said, everyone, 19 says, the whole crowd was trying to touch him. They acknowledge their desperate need for Jesus and they go to him. And this is an important message for us here in this room and for anyone who's, who's hearing my voice who has not yet put their trust in Jesus. This is a, an important picture that, that Jesus is, is he's, he's available to us for us to, to go to him in our time of need. Whatever we're going through, whatever the circumstances, and notice he don't turn anyone away. Everyone is free to come to Jesus with their pain, with their hurt. And, and look at what happens. So those who had unclean spirits are made well. Those, he said, the, it said because power was coming out of him, um, uh, for, from him and healing all, everyone is getting healed. Everyone's life is being changed by an encounter with Jesus. And so to the unbeliever, if you, like the people in this passage, come to Jesus, if you hear his word and you come to him, your life will be changed. And this is for you to believe. What it really means to come to Jesus now is is to believe by faith that you're a sinner in need of a savior and that Jesus is the one who has paid the price for your sins. And that if you put your trust in him and commit to following him, you will be saved. This is the the message that is changing the lives of many people around the world and the lives of the people in this passage. And so we already seen two ways that Jesus helps us through the actions that he performs. 
See, Jesus demonstrates how to make good decisions. And Jesus, he shows us how we should treat others, but he also reminds us that we can come to him with anything. And so now we're going on to another section where Jesus actually teaches us with what he says. He's going to show us that. Look at verse 20. Then looking, looking up at his disciples, he says, blessed are you who are poor because the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you who are hungry because you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now because you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you and slander your name as evil because of the son of man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Take note, your reward is great in heaven. For this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. The third point is this. I want to, sorry, really quick remind you of the, the big takeaway. Jesus helps us in the actions he takes and the things he says. And so third point, Jesus explains the realities of the life to come. And this is what he's doing here. Jesus is actually getting in position, like I said, to preach a very uh, powerful message. Call it the message on the, on the plane sometimes. But in the beginning section of this, he, he starts by encouraging his disciples. This is a beautiful picture because He's calling them into something that they don't entirely know what's to come. But Jesus knows that it's going to be hard. And look what he does. He acknowledges right away that there are some of his disciples who are already experiencing hard circumstances. Look at what he says. He says, verse 20, those who are poor, those who are 21, those who are now hungry now, those who weep now. The disciples are, are also among those who are experiencing hard times. And what Jesus tells them to encourage them is that even in the midst of hard circumstances, you are blessed if you're following Jesus. Amen? This is something that we, we really need to hold on to. You're blessed if you're following Jesus in hard times because of what he promises. Jesus promises to come to those who follow him is joy. Joy and satisfaction in the kingdom of the Father. And he doesn't just present the fact that hard circumstances are coming, but he, he points out that there's going to be persecution and this is something that I love about the Bible. The Bible does not pull any punches when it comes to telling us what it's going to be like to be a disciple of Jesus. There are many times where people are convinced somehow that, that the Bible kind of, or Christianity kind of waters down the cost of following Jesus. But that is not true from the word. Amen? Amen. It tells, he tells us straight that it's going to be hard sometimes. There's going to be some people who hate you. He told his disciples in another passage that if they hated me, who's your leader, who's your king, 
who's your Lord, who's your teacher, they will hate you. And we've already started to see it in, in, in the, the, the early parts of Jesus' ministry, as Luke points out, the Pharisees following and, and spying on him and his disciples, trying to find a way to trap him up. And we've already read that their plot is to kill him. And so you can, you can be certain that if they hate their, if they hate the leader, they're going to hate his followers as well. And so to us, the same, he's, he, he makes it plain. He's like, there's going to be people who hate you. But what does he say here? Look at 22 again. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and slander you, your name, as evil because of the Son of Man. When they do this for, for my sake, 23, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. This is a very common thing that the Bible does for us. It, he, the Bible continually tells us that we should rejoice in suffering, in persecution. Christianity is, is it's truly the only religion where you can rejoice in the hardest of circumstances. You can rejoice when people are hating you for Christ's sake. Why? Because of this, Jesus, he, he directs their attention to something. Take note, your reward is great in heaven. For this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. When we speak the truth that we read in the Bible, when we live the life that God calls us to live, we will face persecution, but our reward is in heaven. Amen? So I want us to see a few things that we have to look forward to in the life to come. One, new glorified bodies. Come on, say amen to that. Amen. Right? Like when you're waking up in the morning, you start to realize that if you didn't stretch that morning, it's going to be a hard day. Right? So new glorified bodies too. No more ignorance and confusion. I'm looking forward to getting to heaven and asking God all the questions. There are some questions from this book that I'm still like, I don't know, Lord, you, you're going to have to make that clear at some point. No more ignorance and confusion. Three, life without suffering, sadness, pain, or death. Amen. Four, life of eternal joy and pleasure. Psalm 16, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And then five, life in God's presence forever. This is one that is it's hard to explain because it goes beyond anything that we can ever imagine to be physically in the new body with no pain, no suffering in the presence of our savior forevermore, physically in his presence something to treasure. This, these are the promises that we have in God. And what Jesus is actually showing them is that there is nothing that you can have in this life that is worth sacrificing what Jesus promises. Nothing in this life can compare. That's why in scripture, in Corinthians, it says, the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. Or our, our light afflictions, sorry, that was, that was Romans, my mistake, Romans, Romans 8. And then Corinthians says, our light afflictions, which are momentary, 
worketh for us a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory as we look to the things which are unseen, what Jesus has promised. We haven't seen it come into fruition yet, but we look to what Jesus has promised, knowing that the things which are, um, prom- are, are, are invisible, are the, the things which are temporal, and the things that are invisible are things that are eternal. Right? We, we look forward to what Jesus has promised. And then we go on in verse, it goes on in verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you, will have, for you have received your comfort. Woe to you who are now full, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are now laughing, for you will mourn and weep. 26, woe to you when all people speak well of you, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets. This is a very important picture. If you can see it already, there's a contrast or a parallel here. Jesus goes through and he provides encouragement for his disciples through, with the blessings. And in the same way, now he's providing a warning through the woes. He says, those who are rich, those who, who are full, those who now laugh, that they're to be concerned. This is important to understand. Jesus isn't saying that being wealthy and being satisfied and being happy in this life is a bad thing. But the contrast is very important. What it is is to to pursue satisfaction in this world at the expense of God. This is the problem. And look at what he says to them. He says, you have received your comfort. He says, you you will be hungry. You will mourn and weep. This is a reality of the exchange that someone is making when they choose to settle for wealth and satisfaction in this world rather than seeking God, rather than following Jesus. It's a, it's a horrible trade. It's a bad exchange, right? It's, it's the 2080 rule. They're taking 20% of, of maybe joy and a little bit of pleasure right now, but in the end, and it really is far greater than 80%. It's like 80 times because what they will suffer in the end for all eternity will make everything that they enjoy in this life seem like a blip. And it's a sad thing. That's why it's, whoa. It's a sad reality to see someone spend their entire life pursuing things of this world at the expense of following Jesus only to find that in the end when they die and they stand before God, they have nothing. And so this is a warning. And and when we read the woes, we can find ourselves reading it sort of like, shake my head. But the way we're really supposed to see it is, is a lot more like this. It's a massive warning sign. There's no way to go down this path. This is what Jesus is saying here. This ought to be, and, and honestly, if I could make this blink for us, I would do it. 
This ought to be flashing in our minds a warning sign that we are going the wrong way. And it is truly a, a mercy of God. It is God's mercy towards us that, that Jesus would warn us this way, that he would provide this kind of a warning to us. And, and so it's not just for those who, who trade, who, who trade the, 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 the promises of Christ, who trade following Christ for this world's satisfaction in this world. He, he says in 26, there's another thing that these people are warned of. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets. When we have to understand false prophets in this context, he's speaking of a people who, who they were essentially people pleasers. They said what people wanted to hear, right? And, and they did it to the, to the end of uh, suppressing the truth of God and trading it for a lie. And we read this, false prophets is something that we all kind of slightly understand is a bad thing. So we read this and we're tempted to be like, that'll never be me, never me, right? But it is for us to see that people pleasing is actually a much more subtle temptation than we realize. I remember when I was starting off working, um, I worked for years with my dad before I started working on my own, actually making my own money, actually making some money. Um, and when that happened, one of the things I started to realize is how great a temptation I'd face when I'm, especially I, I, I started to work with a lot, of, um, a lot of young men my age as well. And I realized the temptation to want to fit in. It's a normal human temptation to want to fit in, to want to be liked, to want to be accepted. And I realized there that I started to, started to do this thing where I would, I would just be a little bit silent when they're making certain jokes or saying certain things that was, I knew it was offensive to God. I knew it contradicted his word. But it, it went on so long that eventually, I actually started to convince them that I was agreeing with some of the things that they were saying that was contrary to God. I'm sure if I asked some of them in the time, they might think that I was on the same side as them with some of those things. And so I say this as, a, as, 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 as I believe God is leading us to see this warning carefully, that we can find ourselves in a place where the desire to fit in and to belong and to be accepted deceives us into just simply being silent about our faith, being silent when the Spirit is, is urging us to speak up and to speak out, or at least to, to, to leave that situation. And so this is an important warning that we all should heed. But there's one way that we actually guard against this type of temptation, being people pleasers. This is by remembering what we have in Jesus. Remembering that Jesus actually paid the penalty for our sins 
making us right with God so that today, if we trusted in Jesus, we are accepted by God forever. And there's no better praise than we can have than the praise of God. There's no better acceptance than you can have than the acceptance of God. People will change their opinions about you as you go through life. If you've lived long enough, you know this. And I'm young, and I know this, so I'm sure we all in this room understand that there are times where the people who say they love you will turn around and say they hate you. But there's one who has a sure and steady love for you that never wavers, that never changes. That's God the Father. That's because of what Jesus has done to, to make us accepted by the Father. It's irreversible. Let me tell you, you can't mess that relationship up if you've put your trust in Jesus. And Jesus is the one who has, who has um, made you right with the Father, who has made you accepted by the Father. You can't mess that up. And, and this is the, the beauty that we have. This is what helps us guard against this temptation, this warning that Jesus gives us. He can give us this warning, these blessings that Jesus gives us. He can give us these blessings. He can tell us these things because he also models these things for us. Jesus is the one who perfectly submits to the will of the Father. He perfectly lives the life that God calls him to live, teaches the things that God calls him to teach. And to the end, that they hated him and they put him on a cross and he died for our sins. He died making it possible that everything that he blessed, he, he, he promises us in the blessings can be ours if we follow Jesus. He secures this for us. And it's because he did not, he did not waver in his convictions. He didn't become a people pleaser. He, he, he remained steadfast and faithful to completing the work that the Father called him to. Jesus is the one who perfectly teaches us and helps us through the actions he takes and through the words he says. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word that, that allows us to see our wonderful Savior, Jesus, and the life that he led while he was on earth in the flesh. And that we have these passages where we can read the things that he did. We can examine, we can meditate on these things and learn from Jesus, learn from his actions. But also that he says these, these words that, that I believe cause us to burn within us with a desire to be more like Jesus, with a desire to see the fulfillment of everything that he promised. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, you would help us to continue to meditate 
on Jesus, on his works and on his words. And that we would know who we are in him and and we would know how he desires for us to live and we would live in obedience, looking forward to the day when we will see all these wonderful blessings that he's promised come to fruition in our lives, in our world. And so Lord, I thank you for your word. Do what you desire to do and what only you can do by your spirit in our lives through your word. We pray this for your glory and our joy in you. In Jesus' name. More resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.